This is Christine Shu, and you are listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. Christine Shu and I met her virtually, but we have met in person. So it's really nice to finally be able to get her on the podcast because it's been a long time coming. Um, so Christine is a mother, a former corporate employee. Now she's working for herself through real estate and a loving wife and fellow New Yorker. So welcome, Christine. Yes. Thanks for having me on the show. I am so glad to be here finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been trying to schedule this thing since like last year, guys. So yes. it's been a long time coming. Um, so we're gonna get straight into it with the Kiss Me segment. Christine, what was the first album you purchased? Um, it was uh it was an NSYNC album. <laughs> Oh, okay. Back in the day when I was like a teenager. Um, but yeah, it's it was really special to me because like I was kind of a teeny bopper and just like the boy bands. So Oh yeah, same. <laughs> I like the band called Dreamcast, but they're you knew of them? I've heard of them, but I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not as big as NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys for sure. That's right. Um awesome. So what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? It was definitely analysis paralysis. Um, I started in 2020. And so that's when deals started getting hard to, to really acquire just because costs were going up. And uh, sometimes even when the numbers kind of made sense, I would just keep second guessing myself. Like, is this really going to make sense? Am I really accounting for enough um, contingency here? And yeah, I think Sometimes you just have to take action and do it. So for me, that was the hardest challenge was getting past that. You hear that 402? Everyone gets stuck in the analysis paralysis. So Christine is not the first guest to come on here and say, I just, you know, you just have this little self-doubt, but she's here now. So it means that you can come here too. Mm -hmm. And the next question is, what is something new you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? Yeah. Um, so this... It's going to part of, be part of the story that I talk about, but um, I did three renovations at the same time <laughs> during the pandemic. Wow. My kids off at my parents' house for a month in North Carolina. And uh, yeah, did two renovations on my own between my husband and I, and then one uh, hired contractors, but they were all happening at the same time. So <laughs> that was quite an adventure. What? You did the work yourself? Yep. <laughs> wow, oh my gosh. Talk about the pioneer over here. That's amazing. Okay, I can't wait to dig into this one then. And um, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is from the great Abraham Lincoln. And he once said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. Mm, love it. It's a good one. Think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so christine um so you're in westchester new york is mm -hmm. that correct yeah in white plains and, and where do you primarily invest 
So I started off investing in Philadelphia. That's where my rental properties are. I also have some um, properties here locally. Uh, and I, I'll get into those properties, but they mostly were used to be homes that we lived in that we just never sold. Got it. So kind of like a house hacking and then you move mm -hmm. on to the next one. That's right. Yep. Great. So let's get into it. Now that we've warmed you up, you're ready to tell us what was your first deal? Yes. So I had several first deals. Um, and based on that, kiss me around, <laughs> three renovations at the same time. So I'm going to start off with my very first deal. Um, well, actually, it wasn't my first deal because I actually became an accidental landlord in the past. Um, I started buying my own homes uh, when I was 21 years old back in 2010, 2008, actually it was. Um, and just during kept, the recession, during the recession. But you wow. know what? Also, yeah. that was when the Obama administration issued the first time homebuyers credit. So if you're a first time homebuyer, you got $8,000 come tax time credited to your taxes. So I'm like, why not take advantage of that? Um, and at that time I wasn't making very much money in my W2 job. I was single and just trying to support myself. Even rent was hard to afford at that time. So I'm just like, why not just buy a place? My parents even offered to help out a little bit with the down payment and it just made sense. So that's when I bought my first house to live in. I didn't know about investing in real estate for a while. Yeah. I just loved real estate. I like to buy places. I like to be on Z uh, Zillow and truly I just looking at random houses for no reason. And I didn't, I had no idea why, <laughs> like <laughs> at night before I'm going to bed at like 11 or 12, I'm just scrolling on Zillow. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I looking at houses? <laughs> so, I can relate. <laughs> I've just always loved real estate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of how I started. But then um, I did some landlording. I just didn't know about it. I didn't even really know how to analyze deals. I just figured, oh, I'd keep a property a little bit longer so that there wasn't the, you know, there's a time period where you have to just sell your house and buy the next one and make sure that the, the timing fits just right. So I just didn't want to be pressured with that timing. So I would keep my previous house for a little bit longer and rent it out. Um, and I didn't know about landlording or investing in real estate. It wasn't until 2019 when um, I had two very young kids at home and I just really wasn't feeling fulfilled with my job anymore. Climbing the corporate ladder was no longer appealing because my priorities had shifted. I wanted to spend more time with my kids and just be there as opposed to hiring a nanny to watch them all day. I wanted to be present in their lives, especially when they're young, because it goes by so fast. Um, so 2019 was I started preparing myself and saying, what can I do uh, to replace my income, but still have more time for my family and landed on real estate? There's just so many direct uh, direct arrows pointing to real estate investing and also saving taxes. My husband is a business owner and brings in quite a bit of revenue that we have to pay taxes on through pass through. So, um, you know, when I started learning about real estate, there's so much tax write offs that come with it, too. So just multiple arrows pointing into real estate and also the interest that I had towards it. Um, yeah. Scrolling at uh, right before bed on Zillow. That's right. I know. Yeah. Like it's just like, it was a seed that was planted in me for a long time and I want to get on my job. So I started learning and um, 
just kind of went down that path. And then I feel like there's so many different strategies you can do in real estate, right? You can, you can flip, you can be a landlord, you could wholesale, you could do syndications, uh, tax liens. It's like the sky's the limit in terms of the possibilities. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like on bigger pockets, trying to listen to all these podcasts um, and learn as much as I can, just try to find one niche to kind of go down further in. And so I landed on the burst strategy. Um, I felt like that was a good way to kind of scale um, in some degree. Of course, there's still a limit to it. Um, and so when I made that transition, I said, I have to leave my job to do this. I can't do everything. And I want more time with my family. So um, we sold our house. <laughs> we were living in New Jersey. We sold our primary home and made that commitment that if I wanted to do real estate, uh, we had to make some sacrifices. So we did that. We uh, purchased a two family and now we're house hacking. So the two family needed some work. It was like the perfect layout um, for what we were looking for in New York. Like there's a lot of top down two families, but this was a side by side, which oh. kind of was in my criteria. I would have loved like the side by side because you don't hear like people stomping upstairs and vice versa. So found this two family. It needed some work, um, but the layout was amazing. So we we got the two family in Westchester and spent some time renovating it before we moved in. So we took we took the the house that we had. It was almost like a one to one direct exchange because the cost that we sold it for and the cost we purchased the new house with was almost exactly the same. Wow. Plus we had some equity. So. You know, we put the normal standard 20% down, the extra equity, we used that to invest. And so at the same time, we also bought another property in Philadelphia um, that was going to be the pure Burr strategy. And uh, yeah, I just did that, purchased that, started renovations, and it all it was all happening at the same time. What? So you're, so were you still living in your house in Jersey and then had the one in New York and the one in Philly that you're renovating? So the one in New Jersey, we actually did sell. Um, okay. Yeah. And there was a time in between we were homeless even. Uh, <laughs> so we, we packed up the car, we put everything in storage. We packed up the car, drove the whole family down to North Carolina to my parents' house. And we stayed with them for about a month and a half. And the kids actually stayed longer because we came back to do the renovations. Um, so that was really quite an adventure. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, so like how much did you sell your house for? And then how much, you know, did you spend on buying those, the other properties? Yeah. So we sold our primary house in New Jersey for eight sixty, and we bought the duplex for eight thirty nine. Um, and there was about maybe $65,000 in renovations, as, including a new roof that needed to be done. Uh, and we put in like new HVAC. Uh, there was no air conditioning at all. So we we put in um, air conditioning on both sides. Just you a, did this yourself? Well, that we didn't do ourselves. We didn't, we didn't put in the roof and the AC ourselves. But we basically, we were the GC. So we hired out um, that work. And then some of the demo work, like we literally would <laughs> hire laborers off the streets because there's there's a street here <laughs> that people will kind of just stand and look for work. So <laughs> we brought them in to help us with the demo work 
as extra hands um, to kind of, you know, tear down the the um, the cabinets in the kitchen and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was we, we GC'd our own project because here in New York, especially during that time, there's such high demand. Everyone was working on their house. So contractors were super expensive. Um, the work that we spent 65000 on, we were getting quotes for like 90000 So wow. we're like, um, okay, let's just, you know, do it ourselves or at least to the best of our abilities to do it ourselves. Um, and it, it kind of worked out. On top of it that. It did work out. What are you talking about? It kind of worked out because the kind of, um, at one point, we didn't get the right permits. So it wasn't a big gut reno. It was literally just cosmetic rehabs, changing the kitchen cabinets. We didn't change plumbing or anything like that, electricals. And we didn't know that. So when we were getting our roof done, our neighbor complained to <laughs> to the city. And he thought we needed a permit for the roof, which we actually didn't need a permit for the roof. But when the inspector came out, he was like, your roof is fine, but what are you working on inside? And we were doing demo work. And he's like, you know, you need a permit for that. Unfortunately, New York, New York, like different counties in New York just have a lot of different rules. And I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, doing any electrical or plumbing work or changing anything. He's like, it doesn't matter. You still need a permit. And he put a stop work order on us. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So that set us back actually like three weeks because we were really trying to work as quickly as possible so that we can move our kids in and just get settled. But that pushed us back three weeks. And on top of that, that same day, the inspector came by I was on the phone. I was multitasking, trying to coordinate different, you know, subcontractors, all that stuff. And I fell down the stairs and broke my leg. <laughs> so that was another hiccup. It was literally two blows at us on the same day. <laughs> oh, Christine, are you okay? Is your leg fine? Yes, like all you... is fine. Um, it was like maybe three or four months of recovery. I went to PT and all of that, but I was in a cast for for several weeks. And unfortunately, at that moment, that was where when we just started hiring more people to help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a blessing in disguise, actually. Yeah, I think the world was telling you, you know, Christine, you're doing a lot. Let's <laughs> take a break. Yeah. Go hire these people out. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we had to, we had to, we obviously had to bring in a, um, a licensed plumber, a, a licensed electrician to put in the work and the permits, even though it wasn't extensive work, but it, it did end up costing, you know, a few thousand dollars to hire them and set us back a little bit in our budget and time. So sometimes Everyone says a lot. It's just better to do it the right way the first time and maybe spend a little bit more money because you're saving on the time and the headaches. In my my situation, I could have avoided probably that broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was part of the journey. And I feel like it's during the the misfortunes and the failures that you learn the most. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, where I learned those lessons. And I've got these great stories to tell from it now. And I don't regret it at all. <laughs> it was it was kind of fun. Like even even breaking my leg, it was just it was comical. <laughs> <laughs> because it seems surreal like wait, are you serious? Like you actually broke your leg? Like what? Yeah. Um, 
So then, okay, you break your leg, but then you also had this property in Philly, no? Yep. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was managing that uh, rehab. So remotely. That, remotely, yes. So it's literally, I'm calling contractors here. I'm calling the contractor there, just keeping on tabs of everything. And even that property had a lot of hiccups, and the contractor really wasn't great. He overcharged a lot. So the budget for that one was supposed to be 55 all in, including materials and labor. And it ended up being 20K over. And he he slapped on six change work orders on me. <laughs> um, it's a work change order. Yeah. So sometimes when a contractor comes in, they give you a bid. They can't see everything. They can only give you right. an estimate based on what they can see. But once they open the walls and start working, there's a lot of unexpected things that can come up. So for him, he opened up the ceilings because we wanted to put in recessed lighting. And we discovered that the joists in the ceiling were caving in and it was rotting. And that entire ceiling needed to be replaced. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So big, big deal, right? A lot, a lot of work needed to be done more than we anticipated. And so it was literally like one thing after the other. He would open the wall and say, hey, you've got water damage in the brick behind it. You've got to get that pointed. Um, and honestly, I think he was really upcharging it significantly, too. Like if I were to do it over again, I probably would have fired him just seen the red flags and found a different contractor. But this was a new market for me. I didn't, you know, I didn't know a lot of contractor connections or people that I could rely on. So I just yeah. kept going. Um, and that was my lesson learned is like, if something doesn't seem right with contractors, fire them quickly and just find someone else to do it. <laughs> Cause you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, um, of stacking up those charges. Right. Okay. So you so then it was just those two properties that you guys were working on at the same time yep yeah so the duplex with the two the two sides plus that one and then did both sides of the duplex need to be completely renovated so one side needed more work than the other um one side was kind of a classic unit just it was built in the mid 80s and everything was original and that was actually the rental unit for from the previous owner and uh, the previous owner was living on the other side that was a little bit nicer. It wasn't like top of the line, but it was a little bit more upgraded. So I kept that one the way it was and rented that side out and renovated this side um, a little bit more just, you know, to bring it up. And then we decided to live in this one. So the goal really was for us to live in it in about two years, like for just two years. And then we would move to a different property. So we're coming up to that point now. We're starting to look for another property. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. You sold the place in Jersey. You move into the place in the duplex in New York. And then you you bought the rental in Philly. And that one's, a, it's rented out. There's someone living there. There is now. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How long did the construction take for that property? It was only supposed to take about eight weeks. Um, six to eight weeks was the estimate. It ended That's up fast. two months. 
yeah, it's not bad, but it ended up taking a lot longer than that. It took another four weeks just with all the different change orders and surprises that we found in the property. So that one was acquired in end of October. We started work pretty much right away early November, and the work didn't get done until end of January. So we were able to get someone in um, February, like middle of February with new tenants. And are you self-managing all these properties? So for the local ones in New York, I am. I'm self-managing. The ones in Philadelphia, I do have a property manager. Oh, good. Okay. And so how has that been going? Like managing locally versus having the PM out of state? Um, I like managing my own properties locally, um, especially because it's not that many. I have actually two units. Um, I have another condo that we used to live in that is also being rented here in the same city. So it's not too bad. Um, it's, it's nice. I like the relationship part because you build a relationship with the tenants. Um, I know they always say to keep it business and, you know, I definitely do try to do that too, but it's, it's nice to kind of get to know the people that live in your properties. And usually we end up, um, we end up being friends, like at the end of, (laughs) at the end of their tenancy, I try not to be friends with them, but it, it always ends up, you know, they, they become our friends. So (laughs) that's nice. Like, that that happens. Yes. Yeah. So I do like that. Um, and then just for Philadelphia, we do have a property manager and that help, that helps to have the boots on the ground because it is two and a half hours away from me. So I can't really get there um, just to kind of make it less work on me um, at the end of the day. So I feel like property managers are, are the way to go and leaning on them and their expertise. So how did you do the finance? So you bought the one property, then you bought the other one in New York. So did you guys get financing prior to buying? And like, how did that all work out? Yeah, so we got conventional financing for our duplex for the house hack. Got a really nice rate uh, below 3% on a 30 wow. year. Yeah, it was like 2.75. So that was really cool. Um definitely a keeper. (laughs) Uh, And then the Burr property in Philly, I actually ended up buying that in cash uh, because I felt like hard money is a little on the expensive side. It's between Mm -hmm. like eight to 10% usually. And it's a short-term loan. And being a newbie, um, I just didn't know how long the the project was going to take and how long that that property was going to get leased up. So I wanted that flexibility. I didn't want there to be like these large loan payments um, in case something went wrong. So bought that one in cash. It was under a hundred thousand. It was like under 80, actually under 80,000 to purchase. And I funded my own rehab as well. So throughout my whole working life, um, I was an, a very aggressive saver. Uh, it was just kind of how I was taught when my family, my parents definitely were very frugal. So mm-hmm. I always like saved at least 50% of my net paycheck every month. And for the longest time, I didn't know what I was saving for. I had this huge safety net just sitting there. It was just money sitting there um, as my rainy day fund, which is probably not likely. Like it's nice to have maybe like 30, 20, 
20, 30,000 as your safety net, but you don't need like hundreds of thousands of dollars as a safety net. So I was literally sitting there. And when I came to real estate, I was like, you know, I got to use this money. I have to put it somewhere. And so I felt like I was comfortable purchasing the property in cash at that moment because I had that money sitting there anyways and had to use it. Um, it's not, you know, it's not for everyone. Uh, most people are all about OPM and I get it. I get the advantages of OPM. Um, other people's money, 402. Yes, other people's money. And it is critical. It is critical to, to use other people's money, to use lenders to build your wealth. But in that moment, for me to have that flexibility and for me to have the cash, I was okay with putting it into the property. No, absolutely. And as a newbie, right? Like you have this fear of, oh my gosh, if something goes wrong, I'm yeah. losing these people's money and they'll right. never invest with you again. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that, I think that that was a great strategy for you at the time and it worked. And I mean, now, so Christine actually, you know, it took us a while to get here and stuff, but she just went and saw that property and is actually refinancing it now. So mm -hmm. you want to speak a little bit um, on that? Yeah. So the first property I actually refinanced back in end of September. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to pull out all of my money. I still left some in <laughs> just given all the different hiccups that happened with the construction driving up the budget. And also my appraisal came back super low. Um, and unfortunately, that was just the reality of it. But I did pull out maybe a good portion of it and use that to buy three more properties after that. So that's what I came back from today. Um, it was a three property portfolio. And I am refinancing two of them and selling off one of them. So I'm definitely going to make all my money back with the cash out and also with the sale. Um, and yeah, it's just like it's been a whirlwind today just doing the two appraisals for the two properties uh, so that hopefully I can cash out pretty soon. So can I ask, right, as a newbie, what, how are you underwriting the properties? And like, how did you decide on that market in Philly because you were out of state and you already had property in New York? Like, mm -hmm. why did you want to go to that? to Philadelphia. Right. So we all know that New York has high taxes, right? High expenses, high everything. So um, doing the research and doing the uh, analysis in New York was tough because the numbers just weren't, weren't working out. I was actually paying to have rental properties. Um, so for me, the closest market that I found where the numbers worked was in Philadelphia, where you can still buy properties for under 100000 and um, yeah, still kind of make good rental income because the rents are probably in the mid, like maybe 1500s or so. So I think the numbers make a lot more sense there. And even though I didn't really know anything about Philly, I had only been there once before to get a Philly cheesesteak because I was driving through. <laughs> um, but, you know, virtually driving through the neighborhoods and looking at the deals just said, okay, yes, this is probably going to be an interesting journey, but why not try it? <laughs> and I just needed to take action because New York didn't work for me. I had to look elsewhere. So for me, it was looking out of state in that moment. And how do I analyze deals? So I started off with bigger pockets. They have a lot of great resources and great analyzing tools and spreadsheets that you can use. Um, they have the rental property analyzer that I used initially. And also I was working with a coach at that time that, that, um, specialized in the Burr strategy. And she had a, an, a really great Burr analyzer that allowed you to um, 
estimate what your maximum allowed offer should be uh, coming in to acquire the property. So yeah, those tools are, are like, you know, my Bibles, like it's, it's so important to make sure that your numbers work out before you acquire the property. Um, just in case, you know, you can project what your returns are going to be exactly on the spot there. So it's not going to always be 100%. There's going to be things that happen. Like for me, the the rehab budget got pushed up. Um, but it's good to go in informed and just know what to expect too. And build in those contingencies as well. That really helps to say, you know, you have a little bit of padding there just in case something does come up. And usually something does all the time. And I, I really love what you said there, Christine, because you talked about how you looked at New York and you realized, okay, you know, I got my primary here, but it doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. And although you said, you know, I just, I, I, you, you felt like you weren't taking the action, but you did like immediately you're like, okay, Philly, like came here one time, but I'm still going to pursue it. And then you went and found a place that worked for you and the numbers look good. And then you invested in yourself. Let me get this for you. Also, I... Can you just open one bag? You have to be very quiet, okay? You can sit over there, but be very quiet. Mommy's going to finish up this, this meeting. Okay, I, and now I can open the other one? Just one. I'll open the other one later. You have to be very quiet, though. Can you play over there on the couch, please? Uh, um, <laughs> it will be very, very, be very quiet, okay? No talking, please. <laughs> i get that you can include this because this is real life <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it 402 right we want to all quit our jobs so we can enjoy these moments the bloopers come on now um so yeah so you invested in yourself right and got a, someone that was maybe a little bit more ahead or had experience in specific analyzer for the strategy that worked for you and what you wanted to do. Right. And I think a lot of people underestimate that value of having that person there to kind of guide you, mm -hmm. right? Like in sports, we'll have a coach or like, you know, having mentors, just even in life and business, really successful business people usually get there through a mentor. Um, yeah, it's, it's always good to have someone who's more experienced and several steps ahead of you to guide you along the way. Yeah, because how long, so you hired your coach and then how long did it take you before you bought those properties? Um, I'd say about three months. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, you kind of went on your own, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's always that first step. The first hurdle is actually just getting a deal. Um, and it doesn't have to be the perfect deal. Uh, I just want to say that because I lost money at the end of the day. I did, but that's okay. And I'm not worried about it because being a real estate investor, it's a journey. Every deal after that is going to get better and better. You're going to learn from those experiences. And that is more valuable than even the money that you spent on your first deal. So even if it doesn't net out, um, that's okay. You're going to have later deals that are going to make up for it and have more returns um that's going to cover your losses from that first deal so it's taking the action is key hey, like mommy <laughs> Where I see that? okay so i want to make just the guy and but not the jet 
Okay, I'll help you later after the call, okay? okay. We'll make the, the guy. He's playing Aww. with this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think, the, you know, the first deal, and that's where this whole idea of the show comes from, is that that's what hooks you into real estate, and it doesn't always pan out the way that we want it to. I mean, people have this expectation that, yeah, it's going to be a killer deal. I'm going to make all this money. When in reality, it, it's usually that learning curve, right? The first one's like, yeah, it, it's different for everyone. That's right. Um, yeah. Some people, so, yeah, some people have a great first deal and they just like hit it out the, the park. It's a home run, but usually it's not the case. <laughs> Yeah. And that, and thank you for sharing that because we have to temper expectations that it's going to be uh, a home run every time. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for sharing your experience. And is there one piece of advice, right, that you could give to someone, like if you were to look back in time, like what is that one thing that you'd suggest to people who are looking to get into real estate or, you know, who are like, I'm going to do this. I have some extra cash saved up. Like what? What should I do? Yeah. Um, so it's really mindset driven because I feel like our limiting beliefs are what keep us back. And the analysis paralysis, we're looking at the numbers, it's kind of working, but you know, you have a lot of doubts, right? So there's three things that I would say is have a plan, stick to your plan um, and your goals and kind of work your way back and really set those hurdles for you. Number two is be persistent. Um, if you have hiccups along the way, you know, something's always bound to happen. That's okay. Just keep pushing through, uh, stick to your goals. Go back to number one, stick to your goals, stick to your plan. Um, and then number three, which we don't hear a lot about in real estate is have patience. Uh, cause I know as real estate investors, as entrepreneurs, I feel like we're not patient people. We just want results, right? We want it to happen, make it happen. But, you know, sometimes there's things out of our control. Um, that you just have to be patient with. Uh, we're in this really hot market right now. It's definitely tough to get a deal across all the different asset classes. Um, but as long as you stay true to your first two points, you're going to get there. Um, for some people, you'll get there faster. For others, a little bit slower. For me, I feel like you know part of it is slower. Like I had these huge audacious goals that I wanted to get to. And the journey is, has been a little bit slower than what I expected, but that's that's okay. Stay true the, to the first two points. Stick with your goals and your plan and be persistent. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Christine. And I really appreciate you coming on here and laying down the truths, guys. It's not all rainbows and sunshines in real estate investing. And it goes back to this idea that investing is a risk. There's always some sort of risk when you get involved in investing in anything, whether that's real estate or in stocks or crypto or Bitcoin or whatever mm -hmm. floats your boat. Um, but people don't always talk about how sometimes we're not always in the black. Sometimes we're in the red. So Christine, with that being said, what are you up to in the real estate game now? Because I know you've kind of transitioned into some fun, bigger stuff. Yes. Yeah. So all of this stuff that I've been doing is just laying the groundwork and for me to learn and just learn the foundations of investing in real estate because I learned by doing. So my eye was always set on multifamily syndications and really scaling up. Yeah. So bigger properties, more units. Um, I didn't want to be making mistakes. 
I didn't want to be making mistakes on bigger properties that were worth like, you know, five, $10 million. I wanted to be making the mistakes on the smaller sub $100,000 properties. So it was, it was kind of a learning process for me. Um, And now, now I feel ready to kind of jump into the multifamily space. And in the past six months or so, it's been a lot of networking and just meeting the, the experts in that, that industry um, and just learning as much as I can from them. Awesome. Yeah. Christine had this great series guys on LinkedIn where she talked about her first deal. She talked about her experiences in real estate and she's so knowledgeable and is a great copywriter because all of her content is so relatable that I love it. Um, so tell us what are some ways, like if people want to reach out to you and get to know you better, how can they find you? Thank you for that, Caroline. Uh, yeah. So reach out to me on LinkedIn, follow my page. Uh, like, like, um, you know, as mentioned, I post a lot on LinkedIn, um, a lot of my experiences and a lot of educational content. So feel free to follow me there and send me a message if you have any questions. Um, also, I'm with a, a company that my co-founder and I um, had founded for the real estate syndication space. If you're interested in learning more about that, um, check us out. We're at noblevest.com, uh, N-O-B-L-I-B-E-S-T.com. And if you're interested in just chatting with me about my experiences in the single family space and the rentals and birth strategy, I would be more than happy to to chat and just, you know, exchange ideas. Um, and yeah, hopefully I can bring some value to you guys too. Oh yeah. You've brought so much value today that there, you guys are don't even understand the amount of golden nuggets you're going to get from this girl when you follow her on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's great. Thank you. Um, so thanks so much, Christine. And that is all folks. 402. Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story, or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday. Bye.